Uh, Matt, so you've been playing a lot of uh, Runeterra lately? Is this the joke you wanted to tell? Uh, you've been playing a lot of Runeterra lately? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to respect this joke. Uh, I mean, you've been... Uh, I'm going to just make you, like, try to force it out, okay? I've, I've seen you, like, I've seen you, like, online a bunch on Discord lately playing Runeterra. Have you, uh, is that true? Have you been playing a lot of Runeterra? Yes. Yes, I have. That's, uh, yeah, I've heard it's actually really good, but I was kind of shocked to hear that it's closing down soon because of the lawsuit. Oh, yeah? What, what lawsuit would that be? Oh, have you not heard? No. Oh, they're being sued by Square Enix and Disney. Yeah? Yeah, it's actually kind of, I don't know. I personally, I think it's a step too far um, in terms of, you know, lawsuit abuse and whatnot, but it's just kind of baffling to me that just because they, you know, for good reason for publicity, stole the word Terra from Terra, the main protagonist of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, who along with his friends Ventus Aqua and, uh, you know, the other Keyblade Masters as a Keyblade Apprentice, um, you know, tried to reach the rank of Keyblade Master in his fight against Xehanort, you know, and then along the way was possessed by Master Xehanort. Oh man, that's a shame. Yeah, so you know, it does but... suck though. I can't believe they would just steal that from Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, but the you most know. innovative franchise out there. Yeah, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame that Runeterra couldn't innovate. You know, kind of on their own. You know, not like crib ideas from some of the greats. But it's you know, it's just how these how how it goes these days. You know, with all these law firms and you know lawsuits, of course. Um, so it's just you know, play it while you can. But you might have to start you know going back to playing you know uh, Hearthstone pretty soon no. yeah i'm gonna actually i'm gonna just get back to playing sora stone i don't think they've taken any ideas from anybody yeah sora stone actually uh sorry <laughs> to break it to you matt but uh they're, they're being taken down by by big square as well what yeah yeah it actually turns out that sora is kind of one of the uh one of the newer keyblade masters who under the tutelage of king mickey tried to foil master xehanort's plan of taking over kingdom hearts Wow. Well, at least there's always magic, the uh, octo-traveling. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, hate to, I hate to break it to you, Matt, but uh, <laughs> what? Uh, magic, the octo-traveling, has been, uh, let's just say, yucked by uh, <laughs> Big Square. <laughs> uh, it's actually a shame, but they're actually, before uh, magic, the octo-traveling uh, came out, kind of went before it, it was like dream dropped distanced itself um <laughs> there was a uh, there was another game called uh project octopath which um was a a, a role-playing game for the nintendo switch damn yeah. i guess this is the end of card game corner yeah you know it's our our listeners have are furious that card game corner is coming to an end personally i couldn't be i, I i'm inconsolable uh, you know how much i love that segment but you know you live and you learn theme song How about you hit us with that intro? I just did. I theme song oh, us. Uh, you did theme song. You gotta you gotta roll the uh the you know, your your opening. Oh, that we have that pre recorded. Here, I'll let me 
Let me, uh, I have that sound bite somewhere. One sec. This is the Motion Pixels podcast, and I am August Meyer, and this is my co-host, Matthew Rollins. Matthew Rollins. Wait, oh, I say, you... no, this is, this is a, just, this is just a sound bite, so you're not actually talking to me, but yes, you uh, are Matthew Rawlings. I am August Meyer. And this is the Motion Pixels and, podcast. And, and this is the Motion Pixels <laughs> podcast, yes. Yes. So, um... This week, you know, we have a plethora, uh, I should actually say a plethora of uh, stuff to get through. We will be starting our new segment. Uh, Matt was saying we needed some more segments uh, in the in the uh, pod. So we have uh, PewTube, um, PewTube coming up. We'll be talking about both Little Women starring Florence Pugh and Midsommar um, starring Florence Pugh. And there may not be a whole lot of other movies out there now starring Florence Pugh, but we have this segment here to kind of talk about all the rumblings in, in the, the, the greater Pewtuberverse. Um, so, you know, our, our listeners are pretty happy about that. Um, but besides that, Matt, what else will we be talking about today? Um, I think we should start with, I think, the game we've both been playing the most. Undertale. Or... Mm, yeah, do you want to talk about that? Um, no, only because I'm afraid of the Undertale fan base. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yes or no on playing that should i check uh, that out definitely later? check it out it's i have been enjoying it quite a bit uh i'm like maybe three hours into it uh been playing that the past couple days and it is very funny if you like like old game boy um adventure games uh it's kind of based on like pokemon like it has a similar battle system as pokemon uh, you're not collecting any monsters or anything, but the combat is like that, like traversing the world is like that. There's even, Early in the game, there's even like an ice puzzle similar to like the ice caves in uh, Pokemon games. Um, so if you like just like Game Boy style games, you, I think you'd probably like it. And it has a ton of, it's very, very funny as well. It has some really good character design uh, as well. And it was made by one dude, which is pretty cool. Soundtrack and everything. The the fact that you're calling a classic RPG style a Pokemon style is kind of funny to me no you you should play it you should play it it's uh <laughs> i do want to play it it's just like oh it's like pokemon you don't catch monsters but it's like a turn-based no RPG. i more so i more so mean like my experience with game boy rp turn-based rpgs uh is largely old pokemon games and this is very similar to that um, i think it's it's inspired by earthbound right uh you run into that yeah I mean, yeah, it definitely is. It, it definitely is. But the... Because even, like, the odd combat, like, you don't even see your player character. It's just the main person you're fighting against. I think that's how... Uh, I think that's how Earthbound combat was set up. Oh, really? I haven't played Earthbound yeah. in forever. Uh, I have it on my Super Nintendo Lite or whatever, but... Um, and I played a little bit of it. But I haven't played enough of it to um, dig in. But yeah, I guess I, I, Earthbound has a lot of, like, pop culture references and things like that. And so far in Undertale, I haven't seen a ton of pop culture references, but there's definitely a lot of, like, maybe not fourth wall breaking, but just, like, meta enough humor where it feels pretty modern. Mm -hmm. But there's Ice Cave puzzles, Matt. That's a Pokemon-like. Certainly. Name one other game with Ice Cave puzzles. I'll wait. Uh, Temtem? Good segue, Matt. Uh, We have been (laughs) playing a bunch of Temtem. Um, How many hours have I put in? I can check right now. I think I put a pretty decent amount of hours into Temtem. Like, probably eight or nine. Uh, Twelve hours. Damn. Damn, boy. Um, yeah, twelve hours into Temtem. It is a wonderful podcast listening uh, game, as you and I were talking about earlier. It's just so 
grindy but easy and the temtem you know which are the uh, for those who don't know temtem is a pokemon game but it's not a pokemon game because there's there's rather than pokemon in it there are temtem in it uh and temtem of course are monsters that you catch and uh you're a Temtem tamer, so you, you, you don't train them. You're not a Temtem trainer. You're a Temtem tamer, and you travel the world to be the world's greatest Temtem tamer, and you fight um, dojo leaders, not gym leaders, dojo leaders, um, and there is ice cave puzzles. So for all of the kind of hardcore ice cave puzzle community members out there, this is the game for you. You know, we I actually don't know if there are ice cave puzzles. Well, I'm just I, assuming there certainly there. are. There's, I mean, there's probably there has dozens. to be, right? Probably I mean, dozens. I haven't pushed the boulder yet. Actually, Matt, I was, was I was reading the end game of Tem- Temtem is an MMO style game, like it's online, online, and the end game is kind of where Ugh. you play the bulk of your time if you're kind of a true tamer. And I've actually been reading a lot on you know various communities that ice cave puzzles are one of the biggest parts of the end game. Yeah, dude, nothing better than like pushing blocks with your Thames. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what dude. you grind for. Yeah, uh, it's tempting to really just like grind to get to the end game because ice cave puzzles are so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. That's uh, kind of why we do the podcast because we have these shared loves of many things across video games, not the least of which is ice cave puzzles. But in all seriousness, you know, ice cave puzzles aside, the online components. So Temtem is an online Pokemon game, but not in the sense where you're like it's the Pokemon games that exist are online where you can like battle with your friends. You are like seeing tamers running around the world in real time, and um, you can co-op like party up with your friends. At least one friend, I think at most one friend actually. Yeah, it's just two. And um, you do battles together. All battles you have two Temtems out at once, and if you're playing with uh, playing with a buddy. You each have one Temtem out, and you fight one to two other Temtems uh, in the wild or with other trainers or whatever. But Matt and I played online for um, quite a while today, and it was great. Um, it was it <laughs> yeah, works. running in circles. Yeah, we you know we it is a very grindy game, especially if you're trying to find the rare if you're trying to try to tame the rarest Tems. You know you gotta you gotta you gotta grind it out. So we were grinding, but it was a pleasant grind together. Um, I certainly had a good time. Uh, and so far, I'm liking Temtem quite a bit. Yeah, it was great. It's like very much like black and white or diamond and pearl style Pokemon mm-hmm. where it's before they did all the, like the QOL that made all that grinding so much faster. That's just what this game is. It's just old school Pokemon in a way where the, oh, that's all you do is it's grinding, um, doing the dojos, fighting trainers. But, like, what's really nice is it's not easy, and type advantage isn't as good as it would be in Pokemon. Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but you, like, even we were grinding earlier, and we had, like, I had my electric guy out, and you had somebody that was, like, good against those water types we were fighting, too. We couldn't one-hit him, even though we were, like, ten levels above. Yeah, one thing that I've definitely noticed so far is, uh, and that I think is kind of evidenced by the fact that I'm 12 hours in, and have just beat the first dojo and i'm like in the second major city um or town or whatever they are um i mean it's a hard game comparative comparatively to the pokemon games that it basically emulates um it is a more difficult game where you're going to spend more time um i don't know neck and neck with uh the 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 temtem that you're fighting either 
in the dojos or in uh in the world it's harder right it's a harder game than uh yeah no well like i don't even think it's hard it's just that it actually poses a challenge and you can't just mindly hit a on your strongest move like the most recent like pokemon sword and shield you could do like you actually need to have an idea of what your team is going to do and gym leaders and trainers don't follow like i like this type so that's all i have so you can just use the super effective moves to your advantage and just one hit everything like you actually need to go into the combat system and see what works well because everything's double battles and you need to like actually think about what's going to work well and part of the the combat that's like really cool that is probably my favorite part about it is like those affinity moves yeah there's that... like synergy but if you have so you always have two temtem out and if one temtem is like complementary to the other then you get like an extra bit of power or something off of a one of these synergy moves right yeah and that, that's like it really changes how I play because I've been trying to think about what I'm going to keep in my party. Like, I just got all those rare guys that I want to use. But at the same time, I'm kind of hesitant to switch them all out because I had my, I had my main, my starter was that turtle guy. that I don't remember the name of it. but uh, Crystal? The turtle I think thing. it's called Crystal. Yeah, yeah Crystal. Um, I And it has affinity with wind. So if I have a bunch of wind types that are like wind or dual type like wind and something else i'm trying to use those more than just a bunch of other types because if they're working together i get that affinity move and i'm kind of like excited to get later in the game and have like a big amount of temtems i could use so instead of it just being like who's this type and who's high level it's like what are these dual types that i can like build this like finely crafted comp with you know that so all of them have like have an affinity with each other and i have two that are going to work together or have like redundancy so it's that part's like really cool the combat is definitely the highlight of this game yeah and there's like there's cooldown on on some moves there's some moves you oh, can't yeah, use stamina? your first turn there's yeah the, another thing about the game is the stamina system which is like pp whatever that's called in in pokemon games the amount of points that your pokemon has that is like their the amount of times they can use uh their moves, all their moves consume PP. Um, so if, the, if you get to zero, then you can't use any attacks with that Pokemon anymore, and you have to use an item on them or take them to a, a Poke Center. All of that does not persist outside of battles in Temtem. So you have a lot more... It feels like you can be more aggressive with um, the moves you're using in a battle. But because of that, I mean, the battles are harder, so it all kind of works together to feel really good. Well, yeah, but not even. It's like you can only really get... At, like. Depending on how it's built, a lot of Temtems, I feel like, can do, like, four or five moves, depending on how you use them. Because they all use the same resource pool, whereas, like, Pokemon, they all have... Each move has PP, so, like, your biggest, oh, strongest move... Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Pokemon, it's, like, every move, it's, like, maybe, like, 20 or, like, 5 or something. And the strength of and the power of the move gives it less, but it's usually not a big deal, especially if it's, like, a battle you're going to and you're all healed up for but in Temtem, you can't just spam the strongest move every turn because, like, uh, the, uh, the Osera that you caught today. If you do kick and then you do the big move, that the tsunami that hits both, it already puts it into exertion. And if you overexert, you have to take a turn off. 
So you have to like actually kind of figure out how you want to play and make sure you have the right amount of stamina. And if like the amount of attacks you can get off before they become useless and have to take a turn off is like worth it. Yeah, so it, it makes you make these decisions um, in a way that I, I find I find really fun. Um, and I also like not having to worry about stamina between matches so that I feel like I can use I can use the moves that I want to and then by using moves that I want to um, like either moves that have really cool animations or moves that are, are working really well against the temtem that are in the area that I'm uh, that I'm in um, it's cool to be able to not have to worry about like the PP draining and using whatever ether or whatever it's called in Pokemon that restores that um, uh, two moves yeah it's just nice to like it, it just gives a different flow of the combat, and that's really cool. And that's definitely the highlight of the game. Everything else is kind of not great. Uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it not great. I would just call it not innovative. I mean, this really is like a copy-paste Pokemon game that has yeah, online like, components. It, if it wasn't for changing the combat system, I wouldn't have anything good to say about this game, though. I don't know. I think it has a lot of polish. Uh, no, like the, there, there's good polish and everything, but there's been I've seen like fan projects over the year where it's like Pokemon MMO and like they would take the sprites from I don't know like Emerald or some of the other like sprite based Game Boy games and make like a it's just that game with the overworld and you travel around and you see people and that's what it is. It's like a very base concept, but it's like the the design of this game from what I can see so far, is like they designed a Pokemon map and it's a Pokemon game and you go through and you're doing all those things and you just see other people. And that's about it. And I don't, that's like the part I like least about it because it doesn't really embrace being an MMO. It just overlays like something on top. Like they knew people wanted a Pokemon MMO for a long time. So they did it and all the online functionality works well, but it's how it's baked into the game. It's very like uninspired and it feels just kind of like not tacked on because it works well but just weird for it to be set up in the way that it is i would say some parts of it are tacked on i, I think it's fair to say that because you see the, the part that's not tacked on is like seeing players around like running around i think is cool i think it adds some uh, like a dynamic feeling to the game where you do feel like you're in like a living world and like something you and i saw today is we were we were trying to find this rare temtem and we saw all these other people in the area we were in like running around in circles like in this uh like pond uh trying to find the same temtem that we are so it's like it it felt like we could kind of identify with those people and also knew like oh yeah this is where we need to be because there's like 20 people also here um but the part that part i think is actually pretty cool the seeing other yeah, people but yeah. the interaction with people is non-existent in the overworld. You can't do anything. You just walk through people, and there's you can wave at people, but that's about it. Like to actually do battles or trade, you have to open up a menu, scroll through a list of usernames. So you have to kind of know if you if it's not a direct friend of yours who you friended through the like Temtem friend system, you have to like kind of know like oh this guy looked like he had a cool Temtem following around. Let me go find him in this list and challenge him to a battle that he may or may not accept, uh, which is cool to be able to just battle random people which i've done a handful of times but definitely feels tacked on works well but doesn't it feels like it's just like a oh people will like this feature so we'll add it but we're not going to design the game around it yeah it's like i just i'm kind of relating it back to the only mmo i really played which was warcraft classic a couple months ago like i wish it would have been more structured as an mmo rather than the the town system because like 
in in WoW, you kind of center around your your cap your uh, factions like capital city for a lot of the game. So you got to do stuff, but you almost always come back there because there's things you need to do there and like you need to gear up and you have to talk to your trainer and all this other stuff. Whereas in this game, it's like it's cool when you see people out in the world in an area like looking for something like we did. Like that's really neat. Like that's kind of like the implementation you want to see cuz this is people being in the world and trying to do something no matter at what part they're at, like they're, you're all coming together for something in a way. Um, whereas in this one, it's like, if I see somebody running around the starting zone, I just assume they're, they just started or like, you know, in the second town you get to like these towns don't really mean anything. And I imagine one of the later towns is like the central hub you want to go to, but it's just kind of weird that it like, until we get to the end, I don't think it really is like an MMO besides seeing other people and there's kind of just like the light interaction that doesn't really matter yeah yeah i don't know if it's fair to call it an mmo it's i think it's fair to call it an mmo light in the sense that destiny is an mmo light but it's really like a destiny light in the sense that it's a shared world but not not a, it's like a shared world with with, with it's a shared components. map because you you don't even like occupy other people being there doesn't impact anything which is the weird i think that's the the weirdest part that's what makes it feel weird it's not like uh let's say like this would suck i hope they don't do this but let's say there was only like two osera that spawned in that one area per hour and if everybody knows about that spot that's a bad spot to go to right that's like real world interaction and you have to work around other people and, that, and that's not the case because it's just like if other people are there that doesn't mean anything for you there's no trainers that you can't fight because somebody else is fighting them there's no uh temtem you can't get because someone else is getting them it's just they're there but you don't interact with them in any sense other than you know maybe doing a like a a manual interaction like oh here like let's fight let's trade yeah that's an important word i think for describing this the manual interaction like the (laughs) the online components are very manual like it's really like really not integrated very well yeah. into the like, overall experience of the game seeing people's just very non-eventful because it's like if you see people in destiny it's like because they shard it they put it they're put into your shard or however they do it and you can interact you can shoot things and they can help you same with wow if you see somebody it's like pvp you can fight them right there maybe it's somebody that's going to help you kill some enemies like you can help people with things and in this it's it's not it's just an icon on a map and it's but one thing i, I will know. say is it really, I mean, you can probably back me up here. I think it feels like we're very early in the game. So there very well could oh, be we areas. There could be like a big PvP zone that we don't know about. You know, I doubt it. There's not. <laughs> I, yeah, There's I not. doubt it. Yeah. But there, there, there could be more down the road because I think it feels like we're maybe like yeah. one and like I hope eighth there, into the game. Like at least in the I hope mode. there is. But from everything there that's out right now is the end game is grinding for shinies and Wait, what do they PvP call them the best, you know? Lumas. Oh, lame. Grinding for Lumas, yeah. So you like fight lamas. people and grind for Lumas. And, like, I want to see more activities that you can do with other people. That will be really cool. Like, if they're – like, they need to implement something like a like the raids from Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yes, Those are really raids cool. would be very cool. Yeah. Raids would be very cool. Something like that. Like, that would be awesome. Um, I mean, but the it's dojo early access. It would be cool yeah. if you could just, like, party up if there was matchmaking for dojos. Like that seems like a kind of a stretch, but um, I don't think we were pl- we weren't playing co-op at the time that we were both going through the dojo. But it would have been fun to go through that together. Oh yeah, 
would been great. I would have yelled at you for using that ice cube move over and over again. It's a very strong move. It's a finisher, Matt. It's a finisher. It's a closer. I close. ABC, buddy. Always be closing. Okay. You need to now tell me a bit about what you've been playing in Monster Hunter, because I kind of forgot how that game has been set up. Oh, it's great. Uh, yeah, so Monster Hunter feels like Destiny in the like overall structure. What? It, okay. Hear really? Me out, hear me out, man. Um, I played a good amount of Destiny. I beat Destiny One, did a little bit of the end game, beat Destiny Two, did quite a bit of the end game. Um, I think I, I don't think I played any of the expansions, but um, it feels like Destiny in the sense that you have this big hub area with all of the crafting and the shops and stuff. Uh, and then you go out in the world, and you can you can play with your with your buddies and do some PVE fighting large enemies. Uh, so in that sense, it feels like Destiny to me. I haven't played a whole lot of MMOs, but um, I know Monster Hunter World isn't an MMO, but it has the feel of an MMO light to me. Um, even though you don't see people running around, um, it has the feel of an MMO light to me, like Destiny um, in that sense. But man, it's a it's a fun game. The uh, the actual much like Destiny, the actual gameplay uh, is great. Like the um, minute by minute combat uh, that you do with whatever weapon you choose is sick. Uh, I've been messing around with so in in Monster Hunter for those who don't know, um, you are a monster hunter and you pick from uh, one you pick one of uh, fourteen weapons to bring out with you on hunts to fight these giant dinosaurs and hunt and grab their you know, skin them and whatnot, and uh, I've been playing with the uh, dual blades, uh, which Matt plays, and the... Uh, oh, have you been? Yeah, I, st- I started out Dude. with the dual blades, and then I, I've oh, been playing them more, best weapon. but the, I've mostly played... Um, how many hours in am I? Probably around the same as Temtem. Oh, no, I'm, like I'm eight. Eight, yeah, I'm eight hours. Eight hours into Monster Hunter. Um, the bulk of my gameplay, though I started with, with the dual blades, which are these, like, combo-heavy... Um, you have like a sword on each of your hands and it kind of plays like a, like a rogue like character where you're very high DPS. You're like spit doing these crazy, like somersaults with both of your hands slashing out. Um, and they're called dual blades and you have two of them. And, uh, I've been splitting my time between those and the, uh, war hammer, which is this big beefy hammer that you cut the, 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 the general play style for it is you bash the head of the monsters that you're um, you're hunting until they're stunned, and then you try to get them in a position where they're not moving, and you just bash them over and over again. And as you bash them more, like you're stationary and you're just like wailing on them, you kind of get like a like a damage multiplier or damage like your damage intensifies, and you have this big finisher that you try to get to. And it's pretty fun to try to to try to um, do I don't know if it, the crowd control is not really the right, right word, but like trying to get the monster in a position where you can get off these crazy slams is has been really fun for me. And it doesn't feel super clunky, like I was afraid a, a hammer might. But um, man, there's something about whacking a dinosaur with a giant metal hammer that just feels right. Yeah. See, I'm interested to see if as you get further in the game, like when you get to Iceborne, basically. Iceborne if being you still the like new expansion. It. Yeah. Why are the weapons I, I, much different? I know there's like different moves you can do. No, it's see, but your folk like the weapons are a big part, but the fact that you're because of you're like you're playing with all the defender gear, right? Like the stuff that it gives you to get through the base game fast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like it you basically are only playing half of it. You're playing like the mechanical half of it right now, 
which is a lot of fun. Like, that's why you play. But there's this whole other side to it, which is, like, building, like, weapons and armors and getting a bunch of perks to make, a like, a whole build for your character. Like, a whole RPG side that you're not going to even, like, really need to touch until you get to Iceborne. Oh, dude, I haven't touched it at all because the, the gear that they gave me um, just for starting the game to just get me through the end game or get me through to the end game is so powerful. Like, there's no need for me to do any of that crafting or anything. Yeah, and that's, like, like it's honestly kind of the best part because it's, like, how it keeps you in. Like, I just beat uh, the Iceborne expansion, uh, like, two days ago with the, everybody I was playing with, and... How long did it take s- you, by the way, to get through the, the expansion story? See, it's hard to tell because we also just did a bunch of uh, just random hunts that were off for no reason um, other than to get better gear for builds we wanted to make. So it's like instead of keep like doing every story mission like one after another, we did a lot of like investigations or optional quests or just like random hunts to go out and get things we wanted because we wanted to make like a new like new greaves or like van braces or whatever new weapon um and so it's pretty long it feels long but it's hard to tell because there's so much of that other stuff i think my my buddy was telling me he got through it like 30 hours which i was surprised at that seemed pretty high oh yeah well because you actually you do need to do a bit of the um like maybe not like if you're playing with us we'll probably be able to carry you through the iceborne like main story but if you're going through by yourself, you'll definitely hit points where it's like, okay, I need to go grind like three Tigraxes before to get like this one thing before I can beat this. Be- just because your your weapon or your armor is like just not going to work against it. Because there's a lot of monsters that are designed around playstyles. So if you're fighting a lot of flying things, it's really hard to do anything with like the dual blades. Yeah, right? that, that's actually something I meant to bring up with you. I. Um, I went out on an expedition through this really cool area that's like a unsubmerged coral reef, like a huge coral reef. So you're walking around and there's giant pieces of coral and like sea anemone looking things. Um, and there's all these flying monsters all over the place, but using a, a hammer and the dual blades, like I can throw like, I can shoot them with like my, you have like a launcher on your wrist all the time that you can shoot like pellets. And sometimes I can get lucky and like get them to attack me if I shoot them with the right pellet. But for the most part, it seems like I can't really touch them when I'm using, like, in this uh, a melee weapon. Yeah, like, for a lot of those, um, you, you're at the point where you're going to have to start using them more, especially if you're on your own. There's, like, different pods you can attach. So you can pick up materials in the environment and just fling those. But there's also things like like a flash pod. Um, I, I have used the to... flash pod to get, like, a, a monster I needed to, I needed to hunt for the story down, like a flying monster. Yeah, so you can do that to get them down, then you can smack them. But like you, you, you know, you need to use all of your gear at your disposal, and some things you need to use to like sure it up more to you. Like there's things that are better at fighting flying monsters than, um, you know, non-flying. Like you, you know, like maybe a bow or something. But like a flash pod will get them down. But there's also just like the play styles in which, like the how the monsters attack you. There's some weapons that it feels like they're better than others. Like, um, there's this one in Iceborne called Berioth. He's this big, like, his big, like, walrus fangs coming out of him. He's like a dragon-lion hybrid. Um, and he, he just charges at you over and over again. And I can never hit him with dual blades. I need my, like, it's really hard. I have to, like, there's this grappling mechanic in Iceborne. That's how I get most of my early hits. But 
I need the people I'm playing with to break his arms. Because when he does a charge, because his arm is broken, he'll slide and kind of get stunned. And then I can go him and go in and like do a bunch of hits with my dagger. But otherwise, it's really hard for me to hit him. Um, so, but if you're playing on your own, you're going to have to use different weapons to kind of do that. Otherwise, like if you're fighting Varioth on your own, like I totally probably couldn't do it very easily with dual blades. I'd have to try to use something different. And that's just how the monster is. Yeah, I mean, uh, this game, man, like, the actual just, like, taking down of a monster is so dope. Like, it feels like this This is like a like a boss rush game, almost, where, there, yeah, there's some, like, smaller monsters that you'll fight, but a lot of those seem almost incidental on your way to, like, kind of like a Souls game. Like, this is, like, a lot different than a Souls game, but like that, like a Souls game, you can kind of just, like, run past a lot of the smaller monsters, or it seems, where I am, where I'm at, it seems like you can. You can run past a lot of the smaller monsters to go, to go and find the huge, like, mega monsters that are, like, these, like, weird fantasy creature dinosaurs, um, that feel like boss battles, that you're doing one after the other, and there's, like, there's so many different crazy-looking monsters, and as someone who, like, I love in movies, like, really well-designed creatures, um, like definitely like one of my favorite genres is like monster movies and this game is like scratching that itch so well and I wasn't expecting it to um, it's just every new monster that I'm tasked with hunting in like the story is so much fun to like you hear about it you hear about like the the people giving you the missions are kind of describing how terrifying this monster is and how it's totally fire here up the environment you got to go you got to go stop it and you find it and it's like this it's such a a dramatic encounter every time and the combat itself um kind of feels soulsy to me it's definitely not as hard but it feels like action gamey you know it's like a, a yeah it is it's very action gamey yeah and it's it just feels awesome to like be whacking your sword against these huge huge boss monsters these huge bo- huge boss dinosaurs yeah all the the combat's so good and just the fact that it's boss battle the game you know it's, yeah it is boss battle it's the game it's it's what a what a cool what a cool genre these like boss rush games there's a lot there's a lot of games like this lately like uh titan souls was a cool indie one uh fury uh another cool indie one but yeah monster hunter man i know it's an older series but i, I know this game kind of put it on the map for the general public uh, at least in the in the united states and um man what a what a fun game what a fun games of art i'm not even you know not even that far into it yeah, hopefully you stick with it because uh, Iceborne's really fun. I'm yeah, I mean, I, I got it, it primarily to play with the, uh, play with the boys, play with uh, the group that you play with. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's that's the plan, to stick with it, just have it be the casual game you turn on when everyone else is playing it. Get a couple hunts in with the bro- bros, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, and let's okay, so let's one of the best parts about Monster Hunter World. No idea if this is present in the other games. I doubt it, kind of, because this game is like graphically the best-looking Monster Hunter. It has these like crazy, like top-tier animations. And one thing that is so lovable at this game is you have this uh, cat with you all the time called your oh, Palico. Oh, the Palicos, dude! Yeah, and it's like this your little I love like buddy. The Palicos. He like runs after you. He's like a bipedal cat who you can dress up and give like weapons and he comes and helps you on your hunts. But there's also Palicos back at your base who work in the canteen, which is where you eat. And you, like, before you go on a hunt, you should probably go and like eat a meal. Cause it gives you all these buffs um, that are they're temporary for a hunt. But the animations when, when the Palicos cook a meal for you are just insane. 
insane, yeah, right. dude. It's like watching. It's like the intro to like Chef's Table on Netflix, but performed by like prehistoric looking cats. Yeah, it's great. the The muscular cat chef is. He's he's like the best part of the base game. Oh yeah, dude. They they like they salt bay, you know, like and the, the salt food looks onto so the, good. Oh, it looks amazing. Like huge, like fish fillets and steaks and like you know roast birds. Oh man, dude. <laughs> it's just so much fun to watch that. And like I've noticed that it seems like you like level up the canteen or something because I think I've seen two different animations. It's like maybe like a 15 second long scene of these basically these cats basically like dancing around the kitchen, kind of like this the the hot chocolate scene in the Polar Express. Um, <laughs> it's I would say Monster Hunter World is one of the best Polar Express likes out there. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite part is that those cutscenes, it's like they're chopping all the meat, they're sprinkling all that stuff, and then it always zooms in on the chef, and he's, like, really delicately doing something. Like, he puts the little, like, uh, the little cotton topper on top of a drumstick. Yeah, he, like, like, he like puts, like, the bay leaf precisely. right on top of the, the fish fillet. Yeah, like, really slowly, and just <laughs> sets it down. <laughs> it's great. It's so good. It's great. They it's look so, so happy to have done this for you, and they, like, present it to you, and, like, oh, man. Like they're using like jazz hands to give you their 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 roast you know dragon drumsticks, dude. Wow, wow, game of the year, just for yeah, those dude. scenes alone. It's so good. And uh, uh, other great animations for this game. I mean, this game is uh, it just feels so big budget. It feels so high production value with things like we're talking about, like these crazy animations, like. When you're out in the world, this is something you can definitely speak to. I've only seen it happen a couple times. But there's turf wars where if there's more than one huge monster uh, in an area, let's let's say you're hunting like you're hunting like a hunting. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's say you're hunting like a like a what do they call it? Anjanath, which is like this T-Rex, like furry T-Rex looking guy. You're hunting an Anjanath, and then all of a sudden you chase him into this clearing that is the home of some other giant uh, dinosaur, then they might start fighting, but the animations they use are scripted in a way where they're, like, climbing all over each other and ripping each other, where it's just, like, it feels like a cutscene, but happening in real time in the game, that the, the monsters are actually damaging each other, right? They're actually damaging each other when they're doing these yeah. turf wars. It's, it's great. Like They're, like, absolutely to... flaring each other up right in front mm -hmm. of you. It's It's awesome. And what's nice, too, is beyond the Turf Wars, like, there's a lot of scripted ones. So if two monsters generally exist in the same area, they'll have a Turf War animation. But even if they don't, they'll still attack each other. So, like, if you lure one over to another one, they'll start fighting each other. And they'll just keep doing, like, damage to each other while you're fighting the one you want. So that's, like, the coolest part about that game is there's a lot of environment things you can use whether it be like other monsters or like sometimes you'll see a boulder above something so you try to get a monster to run under this boulder so you can shoot it and then you drop it on its head or, oh yeah just yeah there, there's so many cool things like that where it's just like you base not only how like you're gonna attack it based off like your weapons or whatever you have to base it off the environment because there's even like some mechanics like the the sliding move with that hammer yeah, which I did right? several hours into playing with his hammer. I didn't realize that you could hold this one button to charge down a hill and like power slide while bracing your hammer down a hill and then launching yourself up, like slamming down onto a monster. And it's a special like animation and move that you could only do like sliding down a hill. Yeah, like just all the and, that, and that's if there's a hill. So if there's not a hill, you have to play differently. 
And that's like what's so cool. It's like you have to keep adapting depending on where you are. And like you can use if there's like an area where you can get above it, you can like jump off of it and try to land on it and get a mount. So then you can deal a lot of extra damage that way. So cool. Yeah, but I mean, speaking of the environment of this game, one thing I one thing I've really grown to like uh, in it is the focus on exploration, but not in the sense. I mean, the maps are very well designed. Um, like not in the sense of like in Destiny, you have these big open, uh, open. I, I don't know what, what what do you call them in Destiny? Like the areas you explore that you go out and do missions in. They're just I don't know worlds, maps. Yeah, like the overworld, like the greater yeah. overworld. Uh, in in Monster Hunter, yes, they're very well designed um, areas that are fun to explore. But I found it fun to explore because they you feel like you're hunting, right? It's called Monster Hunter, and you're hunting monsters. But there's such a focus on the the wildness, like the wilderness of the areas that you're in. So where in Destiny the the, the maps are are awesome for like firefights and have awesome positioning and whatnot, like places to shoot enemies and uh, whatever in monster hunter it's just like it feels like an actual like environment like an actual ecosystem that you're you're running around like i was i was walking around the i forget what it's called but it was the area before the coral reef area and there was like one yeah i think it was the desert there were like these there was like ants like a like a like a line of ants walking 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 like down a path and up into a tree and they were like fully animated and like walking in a line, just like you would, just like you would expect. And there's all sorts of little creatures running around. Like there will be, like there's this, uh, like a toad. What's it called? Like a sleep toad or something like that. Where there's a couple. Yeah, it's like there, a, t- yeah. it's like a toad on the ground, and you can kick it. Like there's, a, it says like press B to kick or something, and you kick it, and then the the, to- the toad like freaks out, puffs up, and then like explodes or something and like puts you to sleep or like paralyzes you with it like a step with like electricity um there's like you can use those while you're hunting that's like part of using the environment like so there's sleep toads blast toads electro toads and they all do effects so if you like let's say you hit a toad while the monster's above it it does that effect the monster too yeah and there's also like there's like a these like big mosquito looking creatures that have these oh, huge like huge like sacks under them Gross. and you can like Ugh. pop that you can like hit their sacks and it like flashes uh the area something like that or like goops everyone there's just so many it feels like you're actually running around like a brilliantly designed ecosystem with all these insects and creatures and creepy crawlies all over the place i mean it's just it's really impressive yeah the all the environments are really well done and like each section is kind of designed for different types of fights too which is cool so it's like they put a real effort into it being like looking like a world with all the environment and the different things that would be in it but then it's also like designed for combat which is like really cool oh yeah like i've I've noticed this cool trend in uh at least in the coral area i think i noticed it in like a jungly area i was in before but i'll be hunting a hunting a monster and kind of chasing it like i'll find it like in some clearing and chase it down these down these paths but then it'll end in like this like i guess like kind of like the den of where the monster like sleeps and it'll turn into like an arena battle where i was kind of hunting it across this environment and then i, I kind of get back to like its home turf and, and defeat it there um and, mm-hmm. it, and it just changes up the pace of the fight uh, in a really satisfying way yeah oh yeah monster hunters just so good dude yeah, what a so cool good. Game. What a cool game. Um, if only Temtem had, you know, like sleep toads. 
right? That'd be cool. It, it be would cool. be cool. It would be cool. More like rather than Temtem's environments just kind of feeling like an excuse to randomly encounter Pokemon or Temtem. If only. If only. If only. All right. So now, back by popular demand, oh, no. the lawsuit is still pending. So we're still we're still a go. We're gonna do some card game corner. Okay. <sighs> we can we can do card game corner. We're doing Card Game Corner. Do we have a theme song for Card Game Corner? Yeah, we do. Card Game Corner theme song. The time has come. Wasn't that beautiful? Wow. Honestly, it feels like it gets better every time. Yeah, dude. It's wonderful. It's such... Yeah. So, Matt, uh, if you I might tweak it. If you could... Okay. I mean, tweak it while you can, Matt. There's... I mean... If you're going to be talking about Runeterra, there's not going to be a whole lot more time to talk about it with this lawsuit. But Okay, so I'm going to fill you in on Runeterra, because I've been playing that probably more than Monster Hunter and Temtem this past yeah, week. Yeah, dude, call me the CEO of Xbox, because I want to be Phil spencer in. <laughs> okay, so last week we were talking about um, the, the, the free-to-play model, right? And we were saying, like, that the, the objective of this game, or at least the communication from the people making it legends of ruterra by the way the uh league of legends card game um by riot games by riot games yes um they want this game to be largely free to play and the communication was you can't buy things and you have to earn everything and that's like what's their revenue model um well so there's there's two so after playing in it the open beta started um on thursday no last thursday um and from what the, what you can spend money on this game is there's very expensive cosmetics that I will never buy. Maybe I will one day, and I'll have to look at myself in the mirror that day when I do it. Um, <laughs> do you typically not? No, but they're so cool. No, I mean, like, you typically don't look at yourself in the mirror? No, I close my eyes. In, unless you're buying microtransactions that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I, got and it. I look at myself, and I just pout. Um <laughs> So you can buy cosmetics, you can buy, there's like a pet you have, and it's just a little thing you can interact with on the board. Your your side of the, the game board is whatever you have. So if it's you're a normal person and don't spend money on something pointless, uh, you have like a little grass arena. Um, so you can buy those, but then you can, you can also buy cards, but they cap how much you can buy. So you can buy like little gold coins and you can use those to buy different um, of the the wild cards. So the way you make cards in this game is you either use like the free-to-play currency, which is like dust or shards or whatever, um, and they have different tiers, or you can buy or get from like random like rewards you get for just playing uh, these things called wild cards. And you can craft cards of different rarity. So there's four different ones. There's like a, a champion, which is like, the hallmark like main characters you recognize from League of Legends. So like Thresh is a champion, um, uh, Garen's a champion, stuff like that. Uh, then there's epic cards, rare cards, and commons. So that's kind of the same how it is in Hearthstone, um, where legends are now champions. Um, you can buy these wild cards from the store, and they cost a different amount of gold. But you can only get X per week, and it's not enough to really do a whole lot with. So... Like, every week you can only buy three champions. And you can have a max of six in a deck. So, you can only, like, if you're going to run a deck with six, 
you can only get half of them from buying it. And how many cards and are in the deck? 40. Okay. Yeah, so all the wild cards are capped. And the way they want you to earn it is there's a, a really cool progression tree um, that's, like, better than any other game that's like this that I've seen, where you pick a region. Um, and, like, the way the game is set up, like, you know how Magic has colors? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it, so there's different regions, and every region has different cards. And your deck can have up to two different regions in it. So um, you can, like, pick two regions and use those different types of cards in the deck uh, and build it that way. But for this progression thing is you pick a region and there's, like, 20 levels of rewards. And as you get experience through playing the game, you will progress through this regional uh, level tree and you'll get things like a random, like, a crate that will give you some, like, you know, five random cards from that region. Um, and the the rewards get better and better so at first you're getting like commons and like maybe like a rare wild card but then you can get to a point where it's going to give you champions from that region and so from playing you can decide which types of cards you want to accumulate rather than just like getting random booster packs and hoping you get what you need oh whoa yeah so it's cool like like you can like pick it's like if i want to like shadow isles is a region right like i want to get more shadow isles cards i select my region that's what i'm gaining experience in and as i play the game like draft or can you know construct it or whatever you want to do when you win and complete quests and like get experience for like winning or losing a game it all goes towards that so you're going to keep getting rewards that benefits that region so you can better build a deck that uses those cards so it's like an interesting model and it's really it's really generous like you can i have a couple good deck uh, good decks already and it's like i I think I bought like the starter bundle for five bucks, so it's pretty generous so far. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and the game itself is really good. Yeah, yeah. So gameplay wise, is so you said that it seems like it's kind of hard to get, or it's, it's rare uh, to get these champions, or uh, whatever they're called, legends, champions, whatever. Um, are those the only creatures that you play? Like, I'm assuming this is like very similar to Hearthstone and Magic, where that you have creatures on the board who are attacking, and then you cast spells that are doing damage or cast, do, using some, doing some sort of effect on the enemies, uh, the opponents, creatures, or uh, life total or whatever. Yeah, so there's like two different types of cards. There's units and spells, and within those there's subcategories. So units, there's champions, which are the big splashy main ones. They have a mechanic where they have like a little condition on them. And once you complete that condition, they'll level up into a more powerful version of that. And they'll have a new ability and decks are usually based around those. And then there's followers, which are just like, you know, a normal creature in magic where it has stats. It might have an ability when it comes in, something like that. And just like, like lore wise, are all of the, uh, are all of the, what, what, what are the creatures called? A unit? Are all the units like followers, champions? Yeah. Are, are followers? Are they champions from the actual League of Legends game? Or like who, like what are they? Yeah, yeah. So all the champion cards are characters from League. Okay. And then all the followers are, I think, just characters from the League of Legends lore. I'm not too sure. Okay. Uh, but they, they're like, this is part of their big ip push so there's probably all this stuff like lore and history of all these different like regions and continents and why they're all fighting and these are probably like characters and things you would see if you were to go to those regions in the world and, and you don't have much of a background with league itself i think i did i see you play yeah. playing it earlier this week i was playing tft 
Okay. It's in the league client though, so it's like it's the auto chess. Um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, that's how I'm actually recognizing characters, which is pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, the game's great. It's like a mix of Magic, Gwent, and Hearthstone. How is it like Gwent? So every turn, each player draws a card, and you have you have mana like Magic and Hearthstone, but a turn isn't over until both players pass. So it's kind of like Gwent where you need to react to what the other person does, and if you don't, the round ends. Because in okay. Gwent, you go back and forth playing cards until... Uh, you know, one person chooses not to anymore or gives up. And that's like how you win around in this game. It's like, that's how the turn is structured. So you play a card and then your opponent has to play a card. And if they don't, and then you choose not to, you can pass the turn. Um, and, and, and whereas like in magic, there's like phases, right? Where you have like your main phase, the attack phase, your second main, and you can only do things in these phases and you can't really do things that like, so in Magic and Hearthstone, you have your own turn. And you, the other player really can't do a whole lot during your turn. In this game, you can. You can play creatures during your the opponent's turn. Oh, weird. Um, because it goes back and forth. And the really only signifier of, like, whose turn it is is who can attack that turn. So oh, you trade off being able to attack. But each player can play something each turn. So it's not like... And I think that's, like, one of the better parts about it where... Like, Hearthstone was pretty quick where, like, turns weren't too long because you just played units and then, like, kind of passed. Um, but Magic, it can suck because sometimes you just sit there and wait for somebody to, like, do some, like, stupid little combo they just made or they're thinking forever and you just kind of have to, like, sit and wait. Whereas in this game, it's back and forth the entire time. It's a constant game of interaction and um, playing around. And you can you have the ability to do things on the other player's turn because it's kind of, like... It's not their turn, it's just they are attacking and you have to be on the defensive. So you just kind of trade that back and forth rather than like a hard turn kind of setup. That's um, interesting. Yeah, it, see, it seems like yeah. this is like really, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I mean, as someone who hasn't really played it, I can't really say it's evolving the genre, but it seems like this is really taking a lot from all of these different competing games and doing its own thing, doing doing its own spin on them mechanically. Yeah, it's it, it's just... I think calling it Magic One Hearthstone is like the best way to do it because it it takes the best elements of each one. Um, it makes them all into its own game, and does it all really well. And frankly, I mean, so. it, it speaks. I think it speaks pretty well to the game that you're so uh, optimistic about it without having any real background besides what TF uh, Teamfight Tactics you play in like the greater League of Legends. Um, like world like you you know you don't you know some people have spent hundreds or thousands of hours playing league and you have not yeah like this isn't a game i'm playing because of league i don't like that ip particularly like i don't really know any of the history or whatever behind it it's just it's a fun game and i like it for that which is the best part because like this game is like a really good mechanical game but it's also a game that's going to get a lot of people to play because it's related to league so like it's nice that it can stand on its own, but it also has that like boost of getting people into it. Kind of like like Hearthstone's pretty good, but a lot of people got into it because it's Warcraft themed, you know. So yeah, I mean, like, I'm one of those people who have never who have never really played a, a Warcraft or World of Warcraft game, but got heavily into Hearthstone. Similar to how it sounds like you're getting into into Runeterra. I mean, I yeah. would just say it's a shame that all there's all this like hype around it in the face of this lawsuit. 
that um, is probably going to you know take a lot of the wind out of the sails of Runeterra. Yeah, true. Well, I guess we're going to, on that note, just conclude our potentially final card game corner. Yeah, I mean, you know how... We might have to be updated to the lawsuit corner. <laughs> Dude, I would love to have a lawsuit corner, uh, a Dude. lawsuit segment of the podcast. Uh, maybe a lawsuit layer. We have a card game corner and lawsuit a lawsuit layer. layer. Yeah, Hell yeah. Tune in next week for lawsuit layer. Um, there's a lot legally going on in the video game and movie world. A lot. And we'll be covering it um, as legal experts. Parentheses. We are not legal experts. Okay. So do you want to start talking about what was it called? A pug tube? Pug tube? Uh, I've just consulted uh, Google. Um, when you look up how to pronounce Florence Pugh on Google, the first result is a video of Florence Pugh telling people how to pronounce her name. Uh, and it is Pugh. Not Poo, although that's tempting. Uh so pug yes so this is our newest segment long running segment this segment i can see having quite a bit of wind in its sails um doesn't seem like there's any lawsuits pending in the pew world the greater um the mpu but um yes this is uh, our newest segment pew tube how to say florence pew you say it like that florence pew it's like hue but with a p no, it's not pug her, and no, it's not poo. I know it's tempting. And in it, we will be talking about um, some of the hottest uh, commodities in the entertainment world, uh, Florence Pugh movies, including um, some movies that Matt and I uh, really enjoyed lately. So um, Matt saw Midsommar recently. I saw it uh, over the summer. Uh, over the summer. <laughs> uh, man, what a weird movie. Uh, that uh, Midsommar. So good, dude. So good. Uh, so Midsommar is a uh, horror movie directed by Ari uh, Ari. Uh, Ari Aster, I think his name is. Uh, he's a new director. This is his second movie. His first one was Hereditary, which is one of my favorite horror movies of the past ten years. Easily. Easily. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen, Hereditary. And Midsommar, um, I would say, is qu not quite as scary, but it is certainly as unnerving as um, as Hereditary. And man, it is uh, it is such a stylish movie. Such a has such a cohesive like visual language like this movie takes place entirely during the day it's about the midsummer uh festival in this uh, at this cults uh like compound in uh in sweden i think it's in sweden right yeah yeah so it's about this girl who's going through all this stuff like her sister just like killed herself and her mom and dad so this girl is like really going through it and things are real shaky with her boyfriend and um her boyfriend and uh his friends are planning this trip to go um experience midsummer at their friend's um like commune where he grew up in sweden and um she kind of tags along and has what i will say is a very bad time <laughs> yeah that, that <laughs> understatement um what's interesting is you know why it's all during the day right yeah, because it takes place in a part of the world where it's literally always daytime at this yeah. time of year. Well, there's like there's like a few hours of night, but it's like I think during that time of year it's like maybe two. So or two yeah. hours of dark, I should say. Yeah. So it's like it's just it's crazy because uh, they even refer to it a couple times. It's like these days seem so long, but it's because it's like it's bright out and it's probably like 10 or 11 p.m. Oh, yeah, like, and the only things yeah. that they do at night, like after... Sorry, here. 
hits the fan uh, in the story of this movie like the only things that happen at night is like you hear some like screams from people who are like having an even worse time than our our hero uh florence Pugh. Um, our hero is that is that really what she it, is i actually yeah maybe on second thought she's not quite our hero i mean florence i don't Pugh, think there's any hero in this movie i mean as an actress i think florence Pugh has heroically um swept the floor with the role she's taken this year but yes uh she's certainly not a good guy there's not really a good guy in this movie except for maybe the bear there's a bear who's very cool um certainly serves his purpose (laughs) Uh, yeah this whole movie man it was like it just it's event it is i don't know it's hard to describe because it's not particularly like scary it's just incredibly unnerving because you see it and you if you kind of know like i tried to go on knowing nothing because that's that's what you said like don't look anything up just watch it so that's what i did but i knew it was supposed to be a horror movie so you're watching it the whole time and you you see things and you're like okay so they're at this this pagan cult or a pagan commune mm-hmm. um well it's, i mean you, you first you think it's a commune then you quickly realize this is a cult yeah well i mean there's like a fine line right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um and it's just you're kind of just waiting to see when things get weird and there's little hints of it throughout it and it's just it does it really like it does it in a really smart way where instead of like giving you like a little jump scare early on to like keep you engaged there's like this part where they're walking through the commune and they're the camera's going by and it shows this weird tapestry that's made that's oh like almost like a fairy tale <laughs> oh my God. and it's just it, it's very pagan but because it's so foreign to the audience because they're aren't really pagan people around still or people that follow that it's very unnerving at least in our part of the world like where yeah where we're watching this movie yeah i mean yeah most people that are able to watch a movie um probably not (laughs) there um but it it has little bits like that where it it, you see something you're like that that's weird right like that that's not gonna is this foreshadowing because that looks bad like i I, is that gonna happen and it just keeps going and it kind of like starts to slowly unravel. And when it gets to the point where the the rock scene with the with the old people. Oh my god. Oh yeah, my god. Like uh like I that's think it's like, okay. I think it's fine. I think we can spoil this movie. This movie's been out for a while. We can. Um, we can. Yeah. And anyone who's tuning into PewTube is a Pew stan to the end and they they've seen this movie. Yeah. But if you okay. haven't the rock you need to scene. Skip. Yeah. yeah. Skip, you know, skip. Get out of here. Get the fire There'll be show notes. Here. Just click, be click to the notes. next segment. Just click, click, get out of here. But for those, you know, for those who are cool and have seen Midsummer, uh, there's the, like the first like scary scene, like things, you know, so it starts out on a very dark note with you know, bad, you know, horrible stuff happening to this, the, the protagonist, the main character, Florence Pugh, where, um, you know, her, her family dies. She goes to Sweden and little troubling things start happening. Like you see this tapestry that has some up stuff happening on happening in these pictures on the tapestry where you're like is that is that gonna happen but then everyone keeps talking about this big event that's gonna happen like the second day they're there and the main character keeps asking like like what 
what are we waiting for? Like, what is what's going to happen? And the people who are familiar with the events of the cult uh, for this festival are like, oh, just wait. You're going to, you know, you're going to be you're going to find it very interesting what happens. And they wake up the next day and go to the ceremony where these two old people walk up to a top of a cliff and just jump off. And the movie shows these old people falling off a cliff and their skulls exploding as they and their legs snapping as they hit the bottom of this cliff. Oh, God. And then one of the one of the old people doesn't die on impact and like ceremoniously uh, a member of the cult comes with this huge huge jackhammer and smashes their skull in and then a bunch of people take play, uh, take turns smashing the skulls in of these people who just killed themselves in front of the whole commune and the main characters start to freak out and weirdly everyone else in the in the commune is like very calm and like some of the main characters like some of the americans who are at this this festival start to like scream and be like what are you guys doing like what what is happening here and everyone in the cult is like it's fine this is you know it was their time they wanted this this is you know a very beautiful beautiful part of the cycle of life here in the commune you know midsummer is very important so the main characters kind of calm down but like you as an audience member, just like the people who are watching this festival happen, um, who have not experienced it before, your nerves start to get fried, and you're like, "What am I sitting through? Like, what what is gonna what else is gonna happen?" And the movie just like really takes off from there, and all of this other even weirder stuff uh, happens later, and, and it builds and it builds, and like along with the like Florence Pugh and the rest of the characters in this movie you just start to feel overwhelmed by the kind of the alien stuff that's happening in this in this festival like it's all so long and drawn out and foreign to what you're used to and what these characters are used to that the horror of the movie comes from being like absolutely unsure of what's going to happen next like uh there's this scene where uh you want to talk about the screaming scene that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie oh my god yeah like um so there a series of events goes through and there's this uh the end of the festival celebration is happening and um and this is a hard scene to just jump into but it, it's a scene where the <laughs> it's a hard movie to jump it, into yeah <laughs> there's like this when pe- people choose who they have um children with because the community raises them and one of the girls that had just recently reached the the ripe age of picking her partner. The, the girl's um, like thirteen, maybe. I think they said she was eighteen. Oh, but, okay, well, she looks very young. Yeah. yeah, she does look very young. Um, but she picks uh the the boyfriend of the Pewmeister, mm-hmm. and um, the Pew was crowned the queen of the festival the may queen she, i think they call her the may queen yeah that the may queen and so she's off doing something and uh this guy gets kind of lured into this area where like you can tell he's gripping with it like he kind of wants he, to... he like his relationship with pewster is like on the rocks and there there's a lot of tension between them so he's like letting himself be drawn into this scenario yeah and like but like it's hard to break down like this is the best part of the movie there's just all these things you can read into like this guy's emotions it's like it's hard to tell if he's uncomfortable because he knows he wants this because he knows that this girl wants to have sex with him and he's trying to like push it off or it 
Or it could be that he wants to do it, but he's not going to because he's with his girlfriend and he's undecided if that's going to work out. Or so, it like, could be because earlier in the movie, this girl who decided she wants to mate with him cut off some of her pubes and put it in like a pie or something too, yeah. and like drugged him to like be seduced by her. Yeah, it was like there. It was like a love potion. Yeah, <laughs> that was also foreshadowed because this movie's wonderful. Yeah, that was on um, the tapestry. I think in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the tapestry I was talking about. It's like, Ew, gross. <laughs> that happened. Um, it did. It happened. It was awful. It did. Um, it was awful. But so he gets lured in, and he goes in this room where she's laying on a bed of flowers, presenting herself to him like take me but and surrounded a by council, yeah like old like like not old ladies but it's like old ladies and middle-aged ladies and young girls too like they're all naked and they're just standing there st- like standing there watching and he goes up and he just starts doing it and then like they're like cheering him on and they like go in and they like help him like shove himself into her it's just very uncomfortable but then Pewmeister mm-hmm. she notices that her boyfriend's gone and walks over to this building and sees through the keyhole just her boyfriend's ass just <laughs> plowing this girl. And she just breaks down and goes into their bunk and just starts screaming because she's just – she's breaking down mentally because that was, like, the last thing she had because her family died. And this is, like – this guy was her anchor. And she's also and in, then, you know, across the world in this area. She has – Yeah, right? She's not – doesn't so know at all. Yeah, she's completely overwhelmed. As the, the audience member, you're, like, right there with her. Like, what is happening? Yeah, and then as she's, like, screaming in pain, since she's the May Queen, all these girls are following her around. And to make her feel better, they scream back at her. So she's screaming out in, like, <laughs> pain and sadness. And they're all just yelling back in her face. Like, screaming. Just, like, she's screaming and they're screaming. Like – and they're not happy. Like, they're screaming with her in the same way she's screaming. So you have this, like, long, drawn-out, like, five-minute scene of, like, 20 women screaming in pain. Oh, my God. The entire time. And that's, I think, something that this director, Ari, Ari Aster, does really well. Uh, in Hereditary, there's all these super drawn-out shots of just, like, in Hereditary specifically. I, I think this movie has a few of them. But there's these shots where like a character it'll be a close-up on a character's face as they're turning to look at something horrifying and you can see like the dread in their eyes their eyes open wide and they start to scream and like the tension that they feel builds and builds and then you see them experiencing that and it makes you scared and and this scene is like ratcheting that concept up to another level where the entire community is screaming in pain with her as she is like having the absolute worst time <laughs> she could possibly yeah. have. God, it's so good. Oh my, yeah, I it's a great movie. My my favorite scene was the last one where oh. they're in the burning <laughs> temple. Yeah, so... not even just the burning temple scene, but like my favorite part about that was so they put everybody into there, uh, and they have all their sacrifices, and this is the final part where they're sacrificing these lives to the gods for for nature or something, <laughs> and and. They they have to give a two people from the commune to volunteer to go into there, and they're sitting in there and they're all around and they're ready to get burned. And they're and drugged up, right? They they take some sort of like potion. No, they're not. That's that's why I love this scene. They they go the guy goes up to him and he's like, "Here's some like like essence of a yew tree. Like feel no pain, fear nothing." And he he says that to one guy and he says it to the other and he puts it both in their mouth and then as the building's burning down. The guy that said that who he said feel nothing to, 
he's burning and yelling at his like friend like like screaming and you can see the other guy looking at him like who was told you will fear nothing looks fucking terrified because he realized that everything that they've been told is a lie and they're burning alive in this building it's just like that moment like that it's like oh that's so good dude just like these little like like a little seed of dialogue to like have the the opposite reaction just like a little bit later of just wonderful like just nonverbal message it's sending oh so dude good. and speaking so of good. speaking of nonverbal right in that room with him not talking at all because he's been drugged up is he's been drugged up is Florence yeah. Pugh's boyfriend who they he's shoved into a bear. <laughs> yeah he's shoved into the car into the skin of a bear and been drugged up so he can't speak and i guess he can't feel anything and he's sitting there burning alive just watching these people burn before he starts burning screaming in agony and he's there in a bear skin burning with them and then the camera goes back out to the the cult members watching in the center of them is Florence Pugh as the May Queen covered head to toe in flowers. Like she's, she probably has like a thousand flowers on her, like completely covered. And she is first at first watching this horrified. And then the final shot of the movie, the like cherry on top of this horrifying Sunday is she's, she cracks like a, a, this smile where it's like this kind of evil looking smile where it's just like, she has had, she has had it. And she is accepting that maybe sometimes it's just okay that your boyfriend burns to death because you've had a really bad time on vacation. Yeah, she's part of the community, man. She is there. She is she is now pagan. Yeah, wow. Uh, this movie, man. This movie. So good. Damn, you gotta watch Hereditary. Uh, Hereditary, uh, yeah. definitely less... It's like a smaller scale movie, but um, like it doesn't take place in like an exotic location or anything. But the terror that it instills in you is i would say more intense like it's it's definitely more of a straight horror movie than like the weirdness of midsummer yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to watching that i'm gonna watch it this week for sure yeah if you're into beheadings um there's some very good uh, headless work in uh in hereditary wonderful i love beheadings yeah and what's crazy so man is that midsummer and hereditary are the first movies that this guy ari aster has directed I mean, he's just, like, coming out swinging. It's it's insane. I can't think of the last time... Maybe the last time... That's actually a good segue. Uh, the last time I can think of uh, a director with their directorial debut just making a phenomenal movie is Greta Gerwig, who... She's an actress. She's been in a bunch of movies um, that you might have seen. Um, but more recently, she is a uh, movie director. She directed Lady Bird, which was this excellent movie actually set at uh, St. Francis High School in Sacramento, where Matt and I grew up. Very good movie. Like It's like a coming-of-age story about this uh, young girl Wait, really? growing up. Yeah, yeah. Greta Gerwig went to St. Francis, and it takes it takes place at, like, it's not called St. Francis, but it's based on St. Francis. Wow. Um, and it's about this like, coming-of-age of, this, of this girl going to an all-girls Catholic high school in Sacramento. And it, it t- I mean, it's all filmed in Sacramento, man. It's really cool. As okay, someone who actually, spent a lot of time we there. may need to sit this movie... Because I want to watch this now. Okay, well, okay, we can. I thought this. I thought this was based off like the book Little Women. No, no, okay, you're getting confused because Greta Gerwig directed Lady Bird uh, last year, I think. That was her directorial debut, and then this year, she oh, directed Little okay. Women, starring okay, the okay. Puster herself. Um, and you know, why don't we save? We we can save the Little Women talk for uh, the the next podcast, so we can we we can pad out PewTube. 
um, you know, until Pew makes her, ne her next move. Um, you know, we kind of follow that. She'll be in Black Widow coming up um, in May, I think. So um, there'll, be, there'll be some more prime Pew moments uh, on the pod. Um, I'm slowly rebranding us as the biggest Pew pod on the net. Um, so keep on the lookout for that. But yeah, man, you, we should, we should check out, you should watch uh, Lady Bird this week. I'll watch yeah, it as I well. Yeah, I really want to watch that. I think it's on, uh, it's on some streaming service. I think it's on Amazon Prime, um, and, which I'm sure you have. Um, so yeah, check out Lady Bird, especially for, you know, it really adds to the Sacramento cinematic universe in a very meaningful way. There's more than you would think in that universe. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, other movies such as, um, movies we'll talk about next week in, um, the, uh, Sacramento Sandlot, our, our newest segment where we talk about the, the extended Sacramento cinematic universe. Yeah, dude. totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a very segment heavy podcast. So, you know, we might end up, you know, uh, you know, morphing Pew tube might evolve into, you know, um, a greater, a greater thing, but you know, I'm just happy to see the, the kernel of, uh, Florence Pugh blossom in such a beautiful way with our discussion today on, uh, Midsummer. man, what a good movie. What a good movie. And so colorful. Like, I've never seen a horror movie that has... It's so filled with color. Like, this, it's in this beautiful Swedish countryside. She's covered in flowers. They have these beautiful dresses um, that are bright white and pink and blue. And, oh, man. The bright white of her boyfriend's ass. Um, man. <laughs> it is... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it is quite the movie. Also, Chi Chi the actor who plays Chidi from uh, The Good Place yeah, right? is in it. I love that. <laughs> and he plays basically the same character <laughs> that he does in The Good Place. It's great. Yeah. More decisive, though. More decisive. Certainly more decisive. Um, has a very good time in this movie, just like he does in The Good Place. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think, folks, Matt, unless you have any other uh, substantive debate to start... Um, I think that probably takes us to the end of uh, today's Motion Pixel uh, PewCast. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I did podcast. watch Joker this week, but I think we're gonna. I think we should save that too. Yeah, we can save it. I um, I kind of want to watch Joker again. Is it on any streaming services? It's not. I had to rent it, but oh, you should watch it. Um, because I think I have a hot take on it, and okay. I and I'm interested to see. How yeah, you felt about yeah. It. I uh, I had some pretty strong feelings about it when I first saw it uh, in theaters, but I'll, I'll I'll watch it again this week, and then we can we can talk Joker. Um, we can have you know kind of a Joker update. Um, there's a lot going on in the greater Joker verse that we can talk about, um, and then of course we'll get to um, Little Women and uh, Lady Bird. We'll we'll kind of have like a like a coming of age segment where we'll talk about you know women. I think we're pretty equipped as like two, you know, mostly white men. I think we're pretty equipped to talk about women coming coming of age. So you can oh, look yeah, forward course, to that. Dude. I don't know who would do a better job than us. I, 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 I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. But we'll, t we'll, we'll, you know, we'll tell you next week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Um, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, the world's number one video game, music, not music, movie, card game, Pew, podcast, Tem Tem. Tem. The world's number one Pew Tem cast will return.
produced. Okay, so I think that was that was one of my that best was, jokes. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> At least it wasn't as drawn out as long as that Luigi one you told. This was pretty drawn out. Ago. This is pretty drawn out, Matt. We're at like three, yeah, but three and a half. Magic minutes. of editing. Magic of editing will make it a lot shorter. If anything, you should make it longer. I mean, there was some good content in there. You might want to, you know, like let it let it kind of simmer. Yeah, you see, I don't know if you notice this, but I actually probably cut out about twenty percent of what you say like throughout the entire thing um 